Have you ever struggled to have financial conversations with your spouse? Today, I'm going to talk with my wife and we're going to talk about the framework that we use to have better and more productive financial conversation. Welcome to the Delve Into Money podcast. I am your host, Curtis Haney. This is the personal finance podcast where we attempt to demystify money by reviewing books and applying what we learn to our own financial journeys. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. I am here today with my wife, Samantha. Hi there. I'm so excited for our conversation today. So today we're going to talk about money with your spouse and how that relationship works. Everyone has difficulty having these money conversations, whether it be with family, with friends, with your spouse, but we think it's extremely important that you have open conversations with your spouse, and so that is why I wanted to do this episode today, and so I invited Samantha along. Uh, Samantha, I will let you do, I guess, a little bit of introduction for yourself, and then uh, I will wrap that up. So we have been married for almost nine years, and we are in the last stretch of our the first pregnancy, so our first child is on the way. I am a freelance editor and writer, and as we'll probably touch on a little bit later, I always like to tell people I handle the words, you handle the numbers, but as we're going to find out, I still have to work with numbers a little bit too. So that's a little bit about me. Yes, that is that is true. We've we've said that before, and I think that that is accurate. Her expertise is words, so she makes me look smart. Uh, my expertise is the numbers, and so I have tried to teach her along the way. And that's one of the things that we're going to talk about. Is we have a framework that we've kind of worked within. I don't know that it's really been this formal until I started thinking about it and preparing it for this podcast. But I realized that we were practicing some things and doing some things that that I could build into this framework. And so I'm super excited for this conversation. Uh, eventually, this is going to result in kind of a product that I'm going to release. So I'm excited about that as well. We'll share more about that in the future. That's not for today. But so to jump in, I have a five-part framework that we talk about with money with your spouse. So I'm going to give each of those five parts initially. And then this episode, we're going to focus on parts one and two. And then in the next week's episode, we will focus on parts three through five. So part one is with your spouse, you want to understand each other's background. Without understanding where you're coming from, it is hard to make the further connections to connect on two points two through five. Point number two is once we understand each other's background, I want to put together a plan and we want to do this together. Again, we'll talk about that today. And then point number three is we want to commit to that plan. We want to make sure that each person has absolute buy-in to that plan. Step number four is we want to create regular check-ins where we talk about money and we'll talk about that next week. And then part number five is in those regular check-ins. We want to be willing to revise and update our plans based off life phases, based off changes in priorities, whatever that looks like. 
we want to treat that plan with an open hand and be willing to continue that conversation and refine that conversation. Okay, so let's jump back in and let's talk about our financial backgrounds as a couple. So we're going to start off here. We're going to talk about our personal experiences, and then we're going to uh, convert to talking about what this means for you as a couple. So Samantha, I want to hear what was your relationship with money growing up? Growing up, I was definitely a spender. My birthday and Christmas money didn't last long in my pocket. Uh, so that was one aspect of my relationship with, with money. Um, but other than that, I would say it was kind of surface. I'm grateful to my parents uh, for introducing me to just some basic concepts of, of saving and more importantly, of tithing. So even with a very small allowance, I was learning to set aside a portion of that to give back to the church. And, uh, but other than that, everything to do with money in our household happened kind of backstage or off stage. Uh, because for most of my growing up years, my dad worked at uh, financial institutions. And so it was very easy for him to take care of those details while, um, while he was at work. And so because my dad was handling it, uh, it was out of sight, out of mind for me. I didn't feel the need to really educate myself further, or I, I didn't have a vision for, for bigger savings goals. Of course, as I got older and had um, more expenses for, for dance or for school to save up for, I, I would do that. But as far as any bigger vision beyond just that one expense that I was saving for, I didn't really feel a need to do that. So that's kind of my relationship with money growing up. Yeah. And so, so my relationship is I had a good relationship with my parents where they taught us how to give, how to save. We would get ties. I also worked at a rather young age. And so I had that relationship between earning the money and the money I would receive. But I would say overall, there weren't a ton of conversations. And I think part of that also is just as children, we don't probably pick up some of the lessons that our parents are trying to teach us. And so I think Samantha would probably say that as well. For sure. Yes. Is, is we are just kind of in our own little bubble. And so I felt like I had a really good relationship. I had a really good foundation, but I, I remember that my uncle and an aunt, they would give us savings bonds where this was the idea of if you they would pay a, a set price today, and then if we let it compound over a period of time, we could cash it out for more money. And I remember those things being core to our understanding of money. And so we we understand this idea of compounding, of saving, and like Samantha said, of giving. And I remember as a child, I was very much like wanted to give and wanted to be a part of those opportunities. So I had a healthy relationship, but I think there was just things that I did not grasp in that time. But I am super thankful for the foundation that I had. So where this is important for this conversation is what we believed and what we knew about money when we were growing up is going to influence and impact the way that we approach money as we're married. So I want to ask you, Samantha, what ways did what you knew about money before marriage impact us in our married life? Some of that same attitude honestly kind of carried over. I 
was excited to embrace a lot of other aspects of, of being married and managing my own household. And I, you know, I wasn't irresponsible with, with any of those facets, but, um, you know, I went from having a dad who took care of everything, which was amazing. And that was such a blessing. But then I, I went and I, I married a CFO <laughs> and I married another money guy. And again, you were taking care of a lot of these things uh, behind the scenes. And not only that, like you really, you really enjoyed it. And so in my mind, there wasn't a need for me to change my actions because you were, you had it in hand. I had other aspects of the household that I was, I was managing. So I was very content to let everything with the budget basically rest in your hands. And I just wanted to know, okay, what's my limit of spending for groceries or, or whatnot. And And that limit was pretty low typically. (laughs) So yeah, that same attitude honestly carried over into the the early years of our marriage. Yeah. And, and I grew up obviously with a good relationship and then I went off and I was on my own for a period of time before we got married and being out on my own meant that I did everything on my own. I wasn't worried about anyone else. And so when we came into marriage, uh, that meant I just did the same thing. And because that was her bend is to allow me to handle it. I didn't include her in any decisions and any discussions. It was really just a, uh, handing down of, of the book of the rules. And this is what you can and can't do and no worry about what she thought about it. And really just, uh, this is the way it is. And that wasn't necessarily from my growing up. That was more from just me being on my own and developing my own independence, trying to then figure out how to have those conversations and work as a couple together was something that I was not super familiar with. So in what ways did each of our influences result in conflict or stress in the marriage? Well, my my biggest hurdle was just there was just a lack of understanding on some of the more complex issues. I I certainly understood about the creating a budget or the need for a budget. But when we were starting to talk about some more abstract concepts of investing and saving for retirement and how all that would compound over the years, decisions about rewards on credit cards and just any more of the more complex abstract concepts, I just had a, a lack of understanding. And so you know, you understood it very well. And so any conversation, it felt like you were going to have to catch me up a whole lot. So I always felt like I was kind of on my, on the back foot. And uh, because of that, it was hard to form my own opinions and just again, resulting in a lot of the weight of those decisions resting on your hands. And I couldn't come alongside as a helpful partner. Uh, So uh, that definitely created a lot of, of conflict and stress in those early years. Well, in those in those conversations when you don't feel like you know what's going on, it creates this natural uh tension or animosity where you feel less than and then me, I would sometimes want input, but because she didn't feel like she had the knowledge or we weren't on the same level if you want to put it that way, she didn't feel like she could give input. And so then I didn't feel supported and I didn't do a good job of trying to educate her, of trying to include her when we had to make decisions. It was just me telling her what it was me, you know, just vomiting all of the knowledge that I had, which was not a great way for her to learn. 
and not a great way to include her. And so that was a big issue initially. While we were grateful and we didn't have any real big problems, we didn't have any real big fights, it was just an uncomfortable conversation. And every time the conversation came up, both of us had anxiety or issues around having that conversation. And it was Samantha not feeling prepared to give information or give feedback because I wasn't including her in that process. And so I would not include her and then I would expect her to give feedback the second I told her to go. And that's just not the way it works. So to wrap up this point of understanding each other's backgrounds is you need to know the base that your spouse has. And sometimes people think that only one person in the couple needs to be involved in the money. And I think it's okay to have a lead. It's okay to have someone that's completely responsible, but each person needs to have ownership of those decisions. And that is what we learned early on is I was not allowing Samantha to have ownership in the money decisions that we were making. And so understanding each other's backgrounds is the base to creating ownership because we need to be able to talk to each other in languages that we both understand. And so next we're going to talk about putting together a plan. And it was when we started putting together a plan for our life and talking about our future goals and talking about what motivated us that helped us to get on the same page money-wise. And there were a number of things that did that for us. You know, we started uh, having deeper conversations and then we, I was teaching a Dave Ramsey class. So it forced us to have new conversations. We got involved and we did a flip house and that required new conversations. We did a renovation and that required new conversations. And so it's a process that's all along the way, but the framework of a plan in regular check-ins is what allowed us to have more healthy financial discussions as a couple. So step number two is that we want to put together a plan for us as a couple. And the framework of this is, is we have a few questions that we're going to ask each other in this process. And there's, there's more depth to this, and that will be provided at a later point. But this is kind of the starting point uh, that, that can get the ball rolling with creating a plan. The first question is, what is important to us? So that is what is important to me as an individual and what is important to us as a couple. The second question is, what are the non-negotiables that we have? What are the things that we are committed to that we are going to stick a stake in and say that these are things that we cannot debate? And then step number three is where can we cut back? And this isn't specifically a spending conversation, but this is to figure out what the least important points, what the least important things are in each person's mind. And if we can sync up on these three questions, it's an initial starting point, an initial framework for having better money conversations. Let's talk about what is important to us. And I want to talk specifically to you, Samantha. What about this question helped you? Like you mentioned, those things that were forcing us to have new conversations all were kind of happening within the same time frame. It all happened, I think, within about a year. And uh, because we were having those new conversations, it allowed me to have better perspective on 
where we were as a couple and where we wanted to go and to actually <laughs> formulate for myself what I thought was important. I've, I've learned with my personality that can be hard to articulate, but like I said, these, these situations of moving into a new house, of walking through uh, Financial Peace University, I began to see, okay, uh, beyond just making, um, you know, a monthly budget, you know, what, what do we want the atmosphere of our family to be like? How do we want to talk about money? How do we want to be able to influence our community? And, and one of those tools, you know, might be with money. What do we want our later years to look like? And so, uh, when you do, when you are able to decide, uh, what is important, uh, to us as a couple, uh, that helped me better understand why we were making certain money decisions now. And so it was finally being able to connect the goals in the future with decisions that we actually needed to make in, in the present. And so that just was filling in gaps that I had in my knowledge and uh, empowering me to come alongside you and, and make the changes that we wanted to make. Yeah. And I think this is a conversation that you have that's what are our long-term plans as a couple? And it's setting goals out there, setting milestones out there that you want to reach. And I talk about it in framework of one, five or 10 year goals, but you, you can go and our conversations have definitely gone even further than that. And it's by understanding those goals that you can, and it's understanding those long-term goals that you can then connect those goals back to decisions that you have to make today. So that is why it's, it's important to have this conversation of what's important for us today, what's important for us in the future. So one of those things that we talked about was Samantha has talked about wanting to eventually maybe go back and teach, and that would require more education, that would require um, a certain uh, commitment that right now uh, we had to have a in-depth conversation of is, is that something that we want now or is that something that we want in the future? And that conversation, as well as many others, helped frame the financial decisions that we were making today. Uh, another thing is, is understanding what Samantha or what I am motivated by. And so as we brought in money and we each had our own money that we were bringing to the table, it was understanding in what ways could we deploy each of these things to better motivate that person or better connect that person to the money decisions that we were making. And so specifically being a money podcast, we're trying to connect all of these things back to money goals and money decisions that we have to make today. But this is a great framework as well, just for getting you as a couple on the same page and making sure that you're taking steps towards those goals. And one of those things that's super important is when you set those long-term goals is you then check in on those annually. So the idea with this put together a plan is that we revisit and we rework this plan on an annual basis. Let's move on to question number two. What are our non-negotiables? And so as a couple, we talked about, you know, what are the things that are super, super important to us? because frankly, there's things that I did not think were important that Samantha thought were extremely important. So then it's extremely insulting for me to make a suggestion to get rid of something that it's not important when Samantha holds it rather dear. And so we want to protect that 
with the other person. We want to fight for the other person's non-negotiables, and we want to dig into that conversation. So, Samantha, from your perspective, what are some non-negotiables or discussions that we had around that? So one thing that I, I know we both agree on was is tithing is a non-negotiable for us. And uh, it's the first category on our budget. We don't hem and haw of, well, maybe we could divert some of those funds just for this month and then we'll get back to it. Um, and that is one thing I am very grateful that we have that habit. Um, I know for both of us, like we mentioned, it was, you know, a habit that we began building really early on. And so it just isn't a question for us. And I know many couples may be entering the journey at different points along the way, and that's totally fine. And you can start building that habit at, at any level. Um, but for us, that's a non-negotiable. Um, another one is just the size of our house payment. You know, we're we're happy with where we're at and just understanding we wanted to keep it under a certain percentage of uh, of our monthly income and not being tempted to to go beyond that, even if it, you know, might seem like it would be nice, uh, you know, not being driven by appearances or, you know, wanting to have something that's just new for being new's sake. And so to me, that's important to recognize that as a boundary and um, just allows us to make make changes if we if something were to happen that would affect our monthly budget. So those are a couple of things that were important. Yeah. And then and another thing for us is just general spending limits in, in right. general. And then also the idea we don't want credit card debt. And the thing is, is these non-negotiables are going to be different for everyone. And there may be conflicts in your non-negotiables. And that's where these are super valuable conversations. But these conversations about non-negotiables help set a framework that you as a couple have to work within. It could be uh, a lot of people will say, well, you don't want to pay off your house because the interest rates are so low and it's just free money. It's just debt. But the thing is, is if you as a couple want to do that because it creates security, even if it's only for one person. The other person needs to take that into account of, is that level of security going to be something that is super valuable to the other person? We're not looking for the optimal route. We're looking for the route that is going to work best for both people. Because uh, Morgan Housel talks about in his book, The Psychology of Money, there definitely are optimal financial options, but each person makes financial decisions based off the framework that they have. And that can be your optimal, even if it's not the optimal where we've optimized everything and we're getting the most out of everything. If it's what makes you comfortable and what provides you with uh, safety and security that you need, then it's the right decision for your family. And so there needs to be some give and take. And by each of you laying out your non-negotiables individually and as a couple, it's going to allow you to give and take where you need to give and take and learn from those things. So I think that is super, super valuable. And like I said, when we understand what is important to each person, and then we understand what the person's non-negotiables are, we have created a framework. We have created boundaries to work within that now each person can effort towards staying within those boundaries that the other person has. And I think that was a lot where we were missing as well, is while we had a general sense, we hadn't put 
specific things to this. We had not had specific conversations. So it left for some gray area where sometimes we were making little bit different decisions that would then frustrate the other person or would then create a little bit of awkward conversation. And when we set those boundaries, those conversations quit happening in that manner. So the last question I have for this is that where can we cut back? And this goes along with the first two questions is that the idea is not that not that we want to label everything as cut or keep, but it's again narrowing in on what's most important for each person. So Samantha, what are ways that you think that we could cut back or what are things that you've learned from this question? So a couple of categories that often come up as uh, being the most flexible or having the most room for uh, uh, being smaller than rather than bigger uh, often do have to do with with food, with, with groceries and with dining out. I think for a lot of families, that's always a constant battle of uh, being wise with the resources you have, but also being realistic about the season of life that you're in. And then that, because uh, I know we've definitely gone through periods when we are renovating a house, which is meeting certain other goals, um, it becomes hard to actually meal plan and prepare uh, home-cooked meals, you know, multiple times a week. And so we definitely have gone through different seasons, um, but that's a, that's a category that always comes up. Um, just personal spending, we do each have personal spending categories each month that we don't have to ask the other person about. Um, and then we have amounts that are bigger than that, that we would obviously need to ask or just kind of discuss with the other person. And then things that have to do with, with housing. And obviously this category has really flexed over the years as some years it's focused more on, well, we actually need materials to finish out a bathroom or our kitchen or, or, you know, are we talking about buying plants or seasonal decor and how do we, you know, how do we balance that? And so those are some categories that often come up in our discussion. And also one is entertainment. We just kind of, we set, I remember us setting aside an amount and then we kind of saw that category growing rather quickly. And we came to the realization that we're just entertained by cheap things. And recognizing that we didn't always need to put as much in that category and it could be diverted, um, diverted somewhere else. So those are what we talk about a lot. Yeah. And I think those areas of cutback can happen at different points at different times. Like right now, our dining out is higher than it normally is. And it's because um, I have a pregnant wife who we have different desires and we're just in a phase where we're busier. And, and We've had periods where we've cut back on our personal spending because of some goals that we have, but it's identifying those areas that are easiest to cut. If you have a goal that you want, you have, say, a side hustle or you want something that's going to take up time, well, then the question is, do we cut back on entertainment? Do we cut back on, say, our Netflix subscription? Do we cut back on these things? And by seeing, because maybe for you, it may be that cutting back on Netflix is not a big deal, but for your wife or for your husband, cutting back on Netflix is a no-go because that's what they do. That's how they decompress and that's what they want to keep. And so it could be, maybe you keep Netflix, but you get rid of another subscription. You identify what's most important to each of you. And again, it's having these discussions of where do you each 
find value. So to wrap this specific point up, we want to create a plan where we talk about our long-term and short-term goals. And we want to think practically about how those long-term and short-term goals affect the money decisions that we're making today. And it's in that conversation that we talk about uh, what's important to each person, what's a non-negotiable, and what are areas that we can cut back. And we want to make sure that all of those discussions and decisions somehow connect to the goals that you have. Because when they connect to the goals, it's going to create that synergy that's going to allow your money to work for you. Lastly, I would add on this, we want to take some time away to do this. We don't want to do this in the busyness of your day-to-day life. We have been intentional about trying to take a trip, and it's been typically around our anniversary, where we have these more intentional conversations. And frankly, we're typically not having money conversations. We're having wider conversations about our long-term goals, what we want out of the next number of years, what we want out of next year. And then we also reflect and celebrate what we've accomplished over the past year because we don't want to forget those things in the past as well. And so from that, again, we want to reduce as much noise as we can so that we have time away to think, to talk, and to really reflect, reflect, And just as a Christian, we'll pray over those things as well. Samantha, do you have anything to add to that? I think uh, what I hope people take away from this is that it this process does not have to look like how we do it. But I want people to feel encouraged and empowered to have these conversations, to keep having them, no matter you know where they are in life. Because the fact is, if 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 there's a void. It's going to be filled. And so if you don't feel like these conversations are important, well, there's going to be outside influences that quickly fill that void and decide for you. And I think that part of growing <laughs> growing as a human, growing as an adult is um, keeping watch over those areas and making sure that you are in charge of in charge of those decisions and not letting other outside influences make those decisions for you. And especially if you are a Christian, we have been given uh, a lot of different resources to steward. Uh, yes, money is one of those resources, but we also have our time. We also have our expertise and, and other skills. And so if we aren't intentionally thinking about where are we going and how are we directing all of those resources, then all of a sudden now we're not going to be in control because these outside uh, forces of, of just busyness of other people's priorities are going to be making those decisions for us and we become less effective. So no matter what that looks like for you as a couple, I just would encourage you to just start somewhere and just engage in those conversations. Uh, you just never, you never know how um, those small decisions today were, are going to set, set you all off on a course uh, for, for later on down the road, but it won't happen unless you get started today. Absolutely. I thank you so much uh, for sitting down with me today, Samantha. I know that you've got a busy schedule and it's so hard to find time to do this. No, I'm just just messing with her. She was obligated to do this even uh, if she didn't want to, but I know she's out for fame and glory, so she wanted to be on here a lot sooner. Well, the real motivation is just to encourage those spouses, especially the spouses that 
maybe feel like they are often on the back foot when it comes to these financial uh, conversations. Um, I know that, you know, I'm speaking from a, a wife's perspective, um, even though this could apply to, to husbands as well. You know, I feel like there's these two extremes of either there's there's women that really do take the lead in the financial financial discussions in their homes, and then there's others that try and stay far away as possible. And so that's a wide spectrum that, you know, either spouse can fall on. And I just wanted to encourage those wherever they may fall uh, on that spectrum that you can be a part of those conversations, educating yourself and making those difficult decisions. Um, you, you can do it and you kind of have to do that as an adult. It's not all about fun and games, even though reaching your goals and being on the same page with your spouse, I think that's pretty fun. Uh, but there, there's room for all levels of knowledge, but everyone needs to take ownership in those um, financial conversations and direction within a marriage. And uh, so that's what I want to encourage people with. Yeah. And that is, that's so great. And there's this fallacy that, well, I don't know anything about money, so I can't do this. Right. And that's a, just a fallacy. It's a fake belief that you've put in your own head. The reality is, cheat code here, money is not that difficult. Most of the money issues that we have are caused because of mindset or personal issues. And that if we would just take a little bit of time to dig in something that as a couple, you're going to benefit so much more if both of you are involved in those discussions. And you'll notice these questions are not all directly money questions. They're questions about your hopes and dreams as an individual and couple, and we need to be on the same page as those. Now, definitely, because this is a money podcast, we're connecting it back to money, but those are conversations that we just need to have in general. And so I would encourage you, if you have time this week, to start that conversation with your spouse or schedule a time to have a conversation with your spouse. Next week, we're going to talk about committing. We're going to talk about our regular check-in that we do. And then we're going to talk about revising the plan and changes that maybe we've made or changes that could happen. And so I would encourage you start this week with at least scheduling time with your spouse, even if you don't get to have a meeting to have this discussion and go from there. So thank you so much for joining us for this episode. Please come back next week for part two for the continuation of this framework. Uh, we'd love if you could subscribe or share this podcast with someone that you think could gain value. Perfect opportunity. Share it with your spouse if you're listening alone. And then you can go to delveintomoney.com to connect with us. Until next week, remember, healthy financial decisions are intentional financial decisions. Intentional decisions this week lead to healthy financial futures. Start today and we'll see you next week.